Hey, everybody. How are you? Welcome back to the podcast. Excited to have today uh, Bill Cates. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, uh, John. And just so people heard you properly, it's Bill Cates with a C, not Bill Gates. Uh, Very good. Um, (laughs) You know, I think people might have been confused just because of your wisdom. Oh, well, I don't know. I, what I like to tell people is he's got a lot of money. I help people make a lot of money. So uh, I figure that's a fair trade. Yeah, that's true. Well, hey, you, you know, a lot of people out there, you've heard of me speaking about the work I've done in speaking and with the National Speaker Association and some people that have been around me that have mentored me, Mary Kelly, Walter Waldman, Mark Sanborn, and NSA is an incredible culture of people that just take what they've done and their success and just freely give and pour into other people. And Bill, you are one of those people that is just known in the organization, not only for how hard you've worked and and the success that you've created, but how you have just helped other people. And I wanted uh, to talk with Bill today because not only does he have just, uh, there's a lot we can talk about that you do around referrals, mindset, but you wrote a book called Radical Relevance. It's mm-hmm. really about sharpening the marketing message, cutting through the noise, but really the foundational, like the big idea in here is really connecting to our value. And I think right now with everything happening, you know, connecting to our value, our worth as individuals, even when things are changing around us, connecting that value and worth to what we do and then how we communicate it to others. I think this mm-hmm. is a really great time for us to reconnect with that conversation. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, everybody. And before we do that, though, Bill, I'd love for you to kind of bring us back, though, and, and tell us about your journey. It's uh, really interesting. There's a lot that you've done uh, that's brought you to kind of what, what you're doing today. Yeah. So at the risk of boring folks with my story a little bit, uh, you might find it interesting I was in graduate school at the University of Maryland, go Terps, and uh, I was starting to get a little little tired of school, and I was kind of in it for the, all the wrong reasons. I was there because I didn't know what else to do, and uh, so I got a call from a group that needed a drummer, so I became a drummer in a rock and roll band that toured around the country. I mean, I had been playing for a long time, but it was just local gigs and weddings and things like that, and so for several years, I... I toured around the country, played drums, nightclubs. It was a blast. I was young, had a great time. I did an assessment about two years in, and I realized if I kept playing, I'd be playing Holiday Inns probably the rest of my life and didn't want to do that. Uh, Of course, now I stay in Holiday Inns when I'm doing my speaking, but uh, it's a little different. I get paid a little more. And so uh, I uh, toured the drummer as a drummer. And then in, in the middle of that, or near the end of that, I started uh, doing some work with an airline. And uh, I ended up writing a book on airline careers because I, I was reading this magazine, Atlantic Monthly. I must have been bored. And there was an advertorial, which is, you know, an advertisement that's, that looks like an editorial. And the title was Dollars in Your Mailbox. And, you know, who wouldn't want dollars in their mailbox? And I, I didn't really like my airline career so much. And, and it was all about selling information through the mail. It was long before the internet. And I thought, well, what do I know about? Well, I do know about airline careers. So I wrote a book on that. I started putting ads in the back of magazines and newspapers and just learned the whole world of direct mail. And I learned the world of book publishing 
ended up borrowing $40,000 from my father to start publishing some books. And uh, long story on this one, but I ended up publishing cookbooks. Uh, did how, how did you choose cook? How did your dad <laughs> choose to give you 40 grand to publish cookbooks, Bill? <laughs> well, since you asked, um, what happened is, all right, so I, I wrote this book on airline careers and this woman, uh, her name was Noni Howe. She says, well, I need to meet these folks that published this book. And I go, yeah, that's me. And she said, no, no, no. I know, I know you wrote the book. I want to talk to people who published the book. I go, no, that's me. Back then, not a lot of folks self-published. It was not as uh, frequent as it is now. Oh, so you actually kind of broke ground and actually said, oh, well, I can't work with a traditional publisher. I'm too young, too small. So I'm going to figure this out on my own. Well, and, and then the whole model, the whole business model was not doing that because I didn't want to sell it in the bookstores. I wanted to sell it direct response advertising. And that's why I learned that business. And so she wanted to self-publish a cookbook. So I helped her do that. I just helped her with the printing and the art and all that sort of stuff. And then I saw how people, mostly women at the time, but not exclusively, collected cookbooks and they'd get vicarious pleasure just from reading the recipes. I said, hmm, I think I'm onto something here. And it yeah, was we own local- 40 cookbooks and we've in the entire, right. this entire 60 days at home, I think we've pulled one or two of our favorites out, but that's it. Well, and, and you don't even really need to anymore with the internet if you're looking for a recipe. And the, the cookbooks that are selling now are, are primarily the ones by the celebrity chefs. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so much for the, the low-level stuff that I was doing. And, but anyway, I, I, uh, I discovered that there were 1,500 pick-your-own-strawberry farms around the country. So I ended up doing a strawberry cookbook just before I borrowed the money from my dad. And and I, I sold, the first year I sold 10,000 books to these pick-your-own-strawberry farms, right? People check out with a bushels full of strawberries. They need some recipes, I guess. And so the farm, I love dealing with farmers, by the way. They were great. They paid cash. They didn't try to return anything. Just, you know, salt of the earth people. It was great to do business with them. And But this, the strawberry season is fairly short in most parts of the country, about three weeks. So I said, I need a book with a longer season. So apples. All right, so then I found about 1,800 pick-your-own-apple farms and stands around the country, and I started selling to them. I sold about 20,000 the first year, and then I did a honey cookbook because apples have ap- you know, bees, apiaries to pollinate the flowers, and I rounded it out with a vegetable cookbook. So I was up to about 80,000 books a year, direct response to the farmers. And I decided after that to uh, see if I could produce books for uh, companies that produced grills and smokers and blenders and those sorts of things. And that's where the struggle hit. I mean, I was doing pretty well with the other, but I I had trouble getting into that market. My company name at the time was WRC Publishing, William Richard Cates Publishing. It meant, you know, nothing to nobody. And so I had a, I woke up one morning, I had a bit of an epiphany. Uh, I need to change my company name. And I changed it to the American Cooking Guild. The American Cooking Guild. Guild, yes. So who would you buy a cookbook from, especially if you're a manufacturer and you want them to produce a book to, you know, put inside the grill or the smoker or whatever, you know, WRC Publishing or American Cooking Guild? Well, yeah, that's kind that's, of a no-brainer. You know, that's in the zip code of like the good housekeeping, right? <laughs> like it has, it has some gravitas to it. It did, right? Exactly. And we had a great logo of a, my artist found some French chef somewhere and kind of borrowed the silhouette look of this guy. And so that became the, the book, uh, the, the, the company. And I did a smoker cookbook. I did a, 
a, a cookie cookbook for the holidays for American greetings card, greeting cards, did a bunch of stuff. My, now my big one, the big sale that kind of put me on the map is Bumblebee Tuna ordered 400,000 copies of a seafood cookbook I had to give away in grocery stores as a premium. And the joke I make when I give my speeches and workshops is, you know, I was a sales rep and I got a big commission. I was the company owner and got all the rest and uh, built the business, eventually sold that business in 1989, had another publishing company. I started with a partner. I sold that in 1990 and that was mostly to get out of the partnership. Anybody who's been in a business partnership that didn't work, sometimes yep. you just want to get out. And so I, I made a lot of money on the first sale, but the second one, I just got my debt covered by the partner and I was gone. And so then a friend of mine said, you know, what are you going to do next, Bill? And I go, I don't know. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a few bucks in the bank. I can take my time. And he said, well, you know, you should be a professional speaker and writer and consultant. You've learned so much in the years of doing your businesses. And so I slowly, and that's how I found the National Speakers Association. And I laugh, you know, when you say NSA and anyone who doesn't know what NSA means, National Speakers Association, they're thinking of the NSA, other NSA, right? <laughs> that's true. Agency. And so our NSA, yours and mine, John, is that we're the ones who, who speak, who talk. The other NSA, they're the ones who listen. And so yeah, they listen uh, mostly without permission is my exactly. understanding also. Yeah, they, any way they can get at it, they'll do it. But anyway, so that's kind of my entrepreneurial journey up until the point of 25 years ago, getting into the business of helping other people's business grow. Well, let me ask you a question. As you go back, right, I know we have a lot of people listening that are business owners. They have an established business. They're looking at, you know, as things might, you know, have changed as we've gone through this or a lot of people mm -hmm. thinking about, okay, I want to take that step and actually go do something that has the potential to actually start small, succeed and grow into something. Mm -hmm. What, you know, as you were, you know, all the way back, right, you had this idea, you saw strawberry farmers, but you took action. What are some of the things that you learned that you teach other people as you're kind of looking what's out there, right? The mm -hmm. value that you can provide to others, maybe how mm -hmm. you saw yourself in the moment. What do you think allowed you to maybe take action where other people, that would have been a good idea. And then they go, oh, wow, look, somebody else did that. That idea I had two years ago. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because my parents were, you know, grew up in the in the depression and anyone who's had parents grow up, who grew up in the depression understands how they almost never took risks, right? My mother would always say, you don't quit one job until you have another one lined up. Mm -hmm. uh, everything was very safe and, and careful. I have no idea where I got my, you know, interest in being an entrepreneur and starting businesses and and taking those risks because uh, I didn't get it from my parents. But I guess for me, it was just, I always, I like, I'm a project finisher. I like to start and finish something. And we know some people start things and don't finish. And I've got a couple things that still are yet to be finished, but it is my inclination to finish things. And I just saw a very clear path in my head, what I could do, you know, truth be told, I actually was consulting with a woman who, wanted me to help her produce a strawberry cookbook. She had about 200 pick your own strawberry farms and she had sold a couple thousand and she essentially stole my ideas, took my ideas, didn't pay me for them as a consultant to her. And so part of this was like, okay, I can do this better than you. And so I don't know whether it was a little revenge or what was going on there, but 
I said, all right, I'm going to do this, but I'm going to do this even better. So there was a little bit of a glimpse of, of a model to follow. Okay. So it wasn't like I made this up totally. And that's really been my, my MO for most of my business. I, I don't consider myself super innovative, but I'm a really good modeler. And so I will go out and I will look at other people in a business, in an industry, and I will see what they're doing. And I will then take and model what I like, what fits me, what doesn't fit me, and then make it work for me. You know, some people are very innovative and they just come up with these incredible innovative ideas. Me, not so much, but I'm a great implementer. And so I can model and then implement. I guess also there was a little bit, I must have had some, you know, enough confidence in myself to to feel like I could pull it off. And the risk wasn't that high. I wasn't going to risk that much. Uh, I hadn't borrowed money from my dad to do this yet. Now, at the time, 40000 from my dad, you know, went to the depression. Didn't turn, you know, he didn't put money in mutual funds. He put it in the bank, right? CDs, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very conservative. So that was probably a big chunk, I guess, as I think back to him to do. But he had faith in me, his son, right? I started to have a glimpse of what we could do. And, and so part of it, if you can see the goal, if you can model from someone else and you see what they've done, now you won't do it exactly what they've done, but if you get a glimpse of a visual of that, then it's much easier, at least for me to implement. So if, you know, if someone's out there thinking about starting a business or even taking their business into a new direction, can you find anybody else out there that's done it? And that might make you feel a little bit easier in taking that risk because then you can model. Uh, sometimes eventually you can even partner with those people because what you do might end up being a little different and then you, you can partner to do things together. Well, you know, I like what you said, kind of that formulas in there is something that I've uh, realized that I've done, right? You have an idea or something that you want to create. And then what I've done is reached out to people who were successful. Like, you know, Mark Sanborn, when I wanted to get into speaking, you know, Mark has just been an amazing mentor, but I, and I've done this, you know, when I started my first tech company, I did this back when I was in Navy flight school. I eventually became an F-14 pilot. Mm-hmm. I found people that were at the top of their game and developed a relationship with them because what I wanted to know is what they did, how they did it, and what it, you know, almost, uh, I would almost say, you know, I got to count the cost. Am I willing to do what they did to get that result? Mm-hmm. Because if I move into action without counting that cost, those are the projects that I typically don't finish or they're a mm-hmm. good idea and they kind of peter out because as an entrepreneur, there's adversities, there's ebbs and flows like we have right now. It's, it's definitely a, a low tide moment for many of us, a very unprecedented time for most of us. And well, I w- go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I would take that an ex- another step too, that you know, my newest book, Radical Relevance, I have the 17 rules of radical relevance. And rule number two is give your clients or customers a seat at the table. And so you never really want to develop a new product, a new service, a new marketing message, anything uh, of substance like that uh, without talking to customers or clients, without talking to potential customers or clients, whether it's, you know, big, you know, uh, official um, groups that you get together or whether it's just anecdotal evidence. But that's what I've done uh, in my business is to make sure I talk to people before it. And I was doing an interview last week with some of my colleagues, other speakers and, and authors. And you know, someone asked me, how do you make sure you're staying relevant in the middle of the 
COVID virus and, and all the things that are going on. I said, well, I'm, I'm constantly talking to my clients and prospects and I'm seeing what their challenges are. And if my knowledge base, my experience base fits, then I immediately have some help. If it doesn't, then I start working on something that can be helpful of them as long as it's in my wheelhouse of what I do and do well. I, I never take on an assignment that I don't feel like I can deliver you know, in a great way, but that's how I've stayed relevant. So you know, for everyone listening, I don't care what level of success you've had, you always want to talk to clients and customers and, and some of those prospects that you've formed good relationships with who haven't done business with you yet. Uh, to talk to them about how this resonates. And you learn so much from those people and you adjust your marketing message, et cetera, because those are the people that you, you know, I mean, people in the speaking business, so you know this, John, will, you know, say, what do you think about my website? What do you think about this video? What do you think about this book title? And I'll say to them, I say, well, I'll tell you what I think, but I'm not your customer, right? I'm not your market for this. Talk to people who your market for this and see how it resonates with them. That's what's so important because if they can't see themselves in the product and the service and the, in whatever it is you're producing, if they can't see their own story in that, then it's going to be irrelevant to them and they're not going to pay attention. Yeah. You know, that's such a great point. I remember when I went through my accident was getting into coaching, right? I wanted to work with leaders that had been my world for 25 years. And the coach that I was working with at a time, what came out of that is she kind of an action step was for me to go interview 10 CEOs. I mm -hmm. interviewed five people who I knew and five people I reached out to who I didn't know, didn't have a relationship. I think we were connected on LinkedIn who said yes. And asking them about, you know, what, what are they trying to create? What are their challenges? What's going on in their world? It was really powerful. What came out of those 10 interviews, Bill, were three distinct themes that every single person talked about, mm. regardless of their background or industry. And I'm like, you know, each one of those three themes completely resonates with what I want to do, what I want to create. So just thinking about it now, uh, to what you said about relevance, right? I learned in their own words how to kind of, you know, the, create this convergence between what I wanted to do and what somebody else was trying to create or do or what was holding them back and how to be a partner and helping them move toward it, which is, I believe, why my, my coaching business grew and then created referrals. And, mm -hmm. and then I haven't had a market for new coaching clients for the last probably three years just because of the people I've worked with. Uh, they just introduced me to their friends and but it's been an all-in effort. It's been a tremendous amount of work, but it's been very rewarding. Well, and, and getting to my, the work I've done on referrals for 25 years, you have become referable. And you've become super referable to the point where you don't have to be proactive. You just do a good job. And for any business, your, your measure of referability is you're getting unsolicited referrals. You're getting unsolicited introductions. You know, not just are people talking about you, but is it actually turning into connections? And that's kind of a barometer of one's referability or a business's refer or a product. When I put a product out, I, you know, if, if people aren't talking about it, if people aren't sharing it with other people, then I know there's something missing. I have to tweak. I have to fine tune because that's one of my barometers. There's a, a thing called a net promoter score and some of the business owner and executives on your following will know about this. And basically it measures you know, are you willing to talk about, would you recommend this business, right? Are you willing, would you talk about this business? And so you want a, 
a high net promoter score. So you have clients or customers that are willing to recommend you. Uh, there's a book by Frank Reichold called The Ultimate Question. And that he says the ultimate question is not are you satisfied, but are you willing to recommend this business? I would contend that there's actually a higher level question. And that is not our, do you have clients that are willing to recommend you, but do you have processes and systems in place to actually make those happen? And that's the work that I do with a lot of companies is making sure they're getting the referrals and the introductions, not just wishing and hoping for them, but actually making those connections happen. And so that's obviously what you've done in your business is you've delivered enough value that it's created that momentum, right? And what, what happens is it takes on a life of its own and gets easier and easier. Now you got to keep delivering, right? You got to keep being referable, but that'll go on forever. Yeah. And, you know, speak to some of those systems and processes because, you know, I just shared like one of my goals has been, you know, as I work with a client, right, you have to show up and you have to have coaching that they're, you know, that's really powerful for them, helpful for them. But that's only one part of their experience. And whether it's coaching or a company that's a manufacturing company, what is that whole experience that somebody has who's part of your world, right? Your communication, your right. follow-up, how you build relationships. Do you get yep. to know them? Do you reach out and say, hey, how are things going with your wife, right, during this period of time? Mm -hmm. It's not just what you do or your product or service. It's much bigger than that. Uh, I'd love for you to maybe share your thoughts on that. Yeah, we call it client engagement or customer engagement. And some businesses work hard on this. Some don't, uh, unfortunately. And so to have an engaged client is someone who feels connected to your value. And so, you know, they like the work you do. They like the, the things you teach. They like the questions you ask. They like your responsive service. They like the other introductions that you make in the, in the nature of the relationship, whatever, whatever that value is, that value connection, you make that. And they, they feel good about that. So that's one thing. The other is the personal connection. And even large companies need to make personal connections. Now, it might not be the CEO or the CFO, or, but it, they have, there's a customer service rep. And so it's the personal connection that has to be made. You know, all things being equal, people do business with people they like and businesses they like. And all things not being equal, people still do business with people and businesses they like. And every business has a personality. Some just have a very flat personality and there's not much to it. But a lot of businesses really work hard to cultivate a personality, right? You look at Southwest Airlines, uh, you look at Zappos Shoes, a lot of these have tried to create a personality there where people feel that sense of personal connection, even to a company. And it's not always easy to do, but it's desirable because that's what makes you super referable. It's the engaged clients, the engaged customers that will take the time and the energy to not just recommend you and vouch for you, but to actually connect you, right? It's one thing to have, again, word of mouth is good. And there's some businesses that thrive on word of mouth, movies, books, right? Thrive on word of mouth, restaurants particularly. Uh, but there are other businesses that word of mouth in and of itself isn't always enough, right? So you got to get those connections. You got to get those introductions, whatever those might look like for the business. And so, what we need to do is make sure that that's happening as well. And that's where we ask for them. That's where we have rewards for them, potentially, depending on the business. There's lots of processes that can be put in place 
to not just get the word of mouth, but also get the connection to the new prospects, whether it's digital, whether it's totally analog, whatever, but that's kind of what has to happen to make that happen. And, and, you know, I, I kind of say referrals are worthless unless you get connected, introduced because it's just so hard to cut through the noise now. And my book, Radical Relevance, Sharpen Your Marketing Message, Cut Through the Noise, Win More Ideal Clients, is cutting through the noise. Now, here's where the two the bodies of work that I do come together. What's the fastest way to become relevant with someone who doesn't know you? Well, get introduced by someone they do know. And so that's where the introduction will always be the highest form of reaching new prospects. And there are some businesses where you just got to work from that. Like, like I do a lot of work with banks. I do a lot of work with financial advisors, wealth managers, uh, accountants. And, you know, how would someone prefer to meet a service professional? Well, through a recommendation from someone else they trust. And so, what you know, you need something done for your house. You go to a couple of neighbors first. Hey, didn't you get your roof replaced? Or didn't you get a new furnace, right? So, you know, to me, the way of the world is meeting people through other people and the referral, the introduction is the warm way we get into their lives. And for some businesses, why they all treat referrals and introductions as kind of icing on the cake. Yeah, it's great when we get these. A lot of businesses, it really is the cake. It really should be the way that you're meeting most people. And a lot of folks don't know how to do that. So it ends up being the icing when it really should be the cake. Yeah, and I love your focus on creating processes around how to do all of that. So if that's mm-hmm. things people are thinking about doing, you should reach out, connect with Bill. The Your website, Bill, is referralcoach, R-E-F-E-R-R-A-L, coach.com, if you're challenged with spelling like I am. So I always like to throw that out there. <laughs> but I want to ask you, you know, kind of one question here is we're kind of, you know, you start out your book with this, uh, Radical relevance begins with a total shift in mindset. And when you say, because I'm a huge believer in looking at our mindset, it's the source of everything that we do and how we interpret the world and how we see ourselves. What is that shift you're talking about? Yeah, there's a couple of big shifts that need to take place uh, to implement some of the things I talk about. One is has to be just an incredibly relentless passion for your value, for serving your clients or customers. You know, your values and your mission and your vision, uh, a lot of companies see as ho-hum work, uh, I think is pretty fundamental. And there's got to be a customer or a client focus there. A lot of times when you see a company's mission or vision or values, it's devoid of any thought of the client or customer. It's just all insular. And <laughs> It so, was an exercise they did in a boardroom one day on a whiteboard with a consultant and it never... Right. Never went any farther than that. And they may never visit it again. That's why some people don't like to do that work because they felt it was fruitless. Well, one of the reasons was it wasn't kept alive. Second of all, if it wasn't customer client focused, there wasn't as strong a reason to keep it living and breathing and adjusting over time. In my business, we look at our, our values and mission and vision at least once a year for sure when we get the new year started. And sometimes we look at it a second or third time. And so it's got to start with that incredible, relentless passion for clients. And so here's another way to look at it. And this comes from, uh, you know, what's known as the hero's journey. And, and a lot of adventure movies, let's say like Star Wars or, you know, hero's journeys. And so you have the hero, Luke Skywalker in the original ones, right? Then you have uh, Yoda, the guide was. And then they, the guide and the, and the hero fight the villain, Darth Vader. 
Well, here's the problem. Most companies, especially professional service companies, like to set themselves up and project themselves as the hero, right? We will come in and be the hero for you, for your business. When in reality, what our clients or customers want, they want to be the hero. They want to be the hero to their own story. And we are the guide. Now, we have to apply to be the guide. So it doesn't mean we don't talk about our credibility. We don't Yes, we talk about awards. Yes, we talk about things that, and in a way that, that they can see are helpful and valuable, but that mindset shift has to be our clients, our prospects are the heroes. We're the guide, and together we're going to fight the, you know, the enemies out there to help them reach their goals. So that's a, that's a big mind shift for people to make, and I, I know this is big because I was working with a client who had won some great awards in his industry, and, and it's all over his website, and it's all over everywhere. But it doesn't mean anything to prospects. So another one of my rules of radical relevance are, I think it's rule 15 or something, is only differences that matter, matter. So only you know, the awards you've won or the things that you've done that create that credibility, they only matter if they matter to the prospect and the client. And sometimes you got to translate it, right? The fact you won that award, oh, that's nice. That seems good. What does it really mean? right? Does it mean you're going to be better for me? Cheaper, better, faster? What does it mean? And so that's why we got to keep seeing the world and through the eyes of our clients and prospects, because otherwise we won't make that translation. We'll just, we'll end up getting self-centered again, self-focused. And that can be the kiss of death in business. Yeah. So I love that. So to kind of summarize that, like really understanding, I think is a big focus of the work that we do, right? Who you are, right? You're at your best. Mm-hmm. What is that value that you want to bring out to others? And I think letting go, this, this was a shift for me, right? Instead of being the one who wants to be known, right? Help my clients be the ones that are known. Help my clients be the ones that succeed without worrying about getting any credit. I'll never forget once when a client of mine had just incredible success and had an industry award. And I felt like the work that we'd done together was a huge part of that. Mm-hmm. And as he was acknowledged and shared, he didn't mention any of the work that we did together. Mm-hmm. And I actually felt internally like, you know what, that, that's the way it's supposed to be. This is perfect. It's appropriate because I'm there to kind of be in the background to help the people I work with. Uh, get to the best place that they can. And if I'm, and I realized, Hey, you know what? I finally, <laughs> I'm still working on it some days, but made that shift. And then how do we, you know, like you're saying is really focus on from that person that you want to serve that ideal client, right? What does that value that outcome solving that problem? Uh, what does it mean for them personally? Yep. Uh, what, what would be the best part about that for them individually, for their team, for their organization. And that can be a, a company, a family, a nonprofit, depending on, you know, what you do and in who you serve. And I think, so I really appreciate you kind of just really reiterating that because I think it's, you know, right now, as a lot of people need to make some changes, right? If we're really focused on the people that we serve, what's happening in their world right? versus, hey, what do I need to do? But if you say, if you're guiding what you're doing driven based on how this helps people knowing that their world might've just gotten turned upside down, right? Their priorities and the value that you add might need to shift so that you can match what they need right now. And it's time for a lot of us to just sit down and take some time and, 
you know, work with somebody like Bill, work with a coach to actually go through and say, hey, how do I really connect these two because of what's happened? I think there's a thing that's gotten a bit disconnected. Well, yeah. And, and it's the old adage, you can't see the picture if you're in the frame. And sometimes it takes that outside perspective to ask the questions. I mean, I'm very skilled in teaching what I teach and what I know. And sometimes I need someone else to pointed out to me that I need to be doing that too, because we just don't always see, right? We need that outside uh, perspective. And you know, that's what certainly you and I do. And, but that, you know, how do you stay relevant in a time like this? Uh, yeah, you do want to be reflective, self-reflective. You do want to, you do want to take an inventory of what you're grateful for and what your skills are and where your talents are, but you just can't stop there, right? Because you have to figure out if you're in business, at least, you have to figure out what the market wants and what your market wants. And if you've done a good job creating great relationships with your clients or customers, there are so many people out there ready, willing, and able to help you and help you find the, the slight adjustments that you need to make to, to thrive, not just survive, but thrive. You know, I, one of the exercises I just did in a webinar uh, earlier today, and I do this on a regular business basis on my virtual programs, I say... I want you to imagine it's uh, January 1st, 2021. And, you know, just it's the new year, 2020 is over, a year we'll never forget for sure. Did you have a miserable year that you just never quite get on track and, and get things figured out? And it, it just, you got thrown off, you know, one, one loop after another. That'd be a shame. Did you have a mediocre year? Did you, you know, kind of started getting, you know, feeling your oats and, and, and you know, finish up the, the year pretty strong, but ended up all told a mediocre year? Or did you have a miraculous year, right? Was it a great year? Was it your best year ever that I, some folks that I'm working with now are having their best year ever? And it starts with a decision, right? It starts with a decision now that you live into for the remainder of the year. And anyone who runs a business knows that what you do or don't do now is going to show up a month, three months, six months, nine months from now, right? You're planting the seeds now. You're getting it started. So if you want to have a miraculous year, you better start now because every day you delay in doing what you know you need to do, you start to run the risk of having a mediocre or miserable year. And so mm -hmm. we have to, you know, have to begin with that. We have to set the intention. We have to make up our mind that we can do it. And then we work with our clients and our customers to figure out what they need and ultimately what will they pay for, right? It's the way business works. I mean, it doesn't mean you give added value. Of course you do. It doesn't mean you do some things for free perhaps. Yeah, to help them out, of course. And ultimately we've got to stay in business. Yeah, such great advice for people. Thank you so much for that, Bill. And so your website again, referralcoach.com, mm -hmm. this book, Radical Relevance, I think right now is really timely for people. And just, you know, as we wrap up, just any final thoughts for everybody, Bill? Yeah, I, I do have a little gift for your listeners. If they're interested, uh, they can go to exponentialgrowthguide.com, www.exponentialgrowthguide.com. And so here's what I found, serving the heck out of our clients or customers will create incremental growth. And we do have to serve the heck out of our customers, right? We need to do that. But finding ways to be to leverage that good work through referrals, through introductions, through other marketing tools, then we create exponential growth. We think in terms of multiplying our best clients, not just replicating, but multiplying 
our best clients. And that's how we grow a business in today's environment. Awesome. So exponentialgrowthguide.com. People can go there and learn more about what you just said. Mm -hmm. Right now, you know, it'd be a great time, even if you don't journal, to just sit down and say, okay, what do I want to be talking about sharing with my friends January of 2021? Yep. What is it that would just be making me high five and people around me knowing that, you know, we, it's going to be challenging, you know, some of us are, yeah, like some of my clients are going gangbusters. Some of them are trying to figure out how to even, are they going to survive through this? Mm-hmm. And, but that conversation I think is relevant in both of those situations. Yeah, there's actually been some studies and I can't quote them because I don't have the information at, at my fingertips, but that have shown that by thinking and really talking it out, talking out what that future looks like will actually start to help get the brain lined up and the synapses starting to fire to move towards that. So there's actually a physiological relationship between talking about what we want or talking as if the, the year has already happened and this is what we did and this is what we accomplished by that will actually go a long way to us starting to take that action and really do those things. I know it might sound a little woo-woo to some folks, but there's actually some physiological basis for that. So yeah, journal, talk to other people, get clear on what that is. It's about clarity and then moving towards it. And this would be uh, my recommendation too, because we don't, as a leader, you don't need to have all the answers, by the way. I think that's a myth, but sitting down with your whole team and even coming up with some ideas, but having this conversation with your team or your organization and involving this so they're part of it and they have ownership is also incredibly powerful. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Bill. This was awesome. Uh, I'd love to have you back on again soon. Sounds good. I'm writing another book. We'll get there. All right. Thanks, buddy. 